Well, that is really a wonderful opportunity for us to be with you folks tonight. I want you to know that Subaru Road is one of my favorite places to come. Not only because of the partnership we've had with you, but some of the dear friends that we have here and uh, the ministry that you've had with us in the city. And so I would really like to begin tonight with the word. And then as we have the opportunity at the end to show a PowerPoint to you, quite a few of you have been in the city. You know what we do. And we're very grateful for your partnership and your prayers and the teams. Um, it means the world to us when churches send people. Of course, it means the world is the Lord funds. But when a church invests by sending their people, it just encourages our heart. And so thank you. Would you take your Bible and turn to the first page of the New Covenant? I use that term because the book of Hebrews does. The book of Hebrews speaks of the New Covenant, which is our New Testament. And then it references everything before it and calls it the Old Covenant. And old because it's shadow of the new. And the new is the reality. And of course, here in the opening pages of Matthew, we have the text that deals with the first coming of Christ. And then, of course, in Luke chapter 2. And so I would like to speak tonight from Matthew. And I'd like to read the first verse. I'm reading from the New American Standard. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, why does the new covenant begin with a reference to David and Abraham? And then as you continue to read this genealogy, why is there such a focus on David being the king? He's referenced again in verse 6 as David the king. And again, David in verse 6. And then you come down to verse 17, and you've got reference again to Abraham and David and David. And so they're both brought back together again at the end of this genealogy. But why David and why Abraham? And then also, why do you have four references to the deportation to Babylon? Verse 11, verse 12, twice in verse 17. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it begins, Matthew, with the ancestral origin of Jesus Christ, verses 1 through 17. And then, picking up in verse 18 and running through the end, end of chapter 1, you have the physical origin of Jesus Christ. So the ancestral origin, 
and then the physical origin. And then in chapter 2, you have 23 verses, and it contains the geographical origin of Christ. Why is reference made to Bethlehem? Verse 1, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 16. Why is reference made to Egypt? Why is reference made in verse 23 to Nazareth, but specifically verse 18, a voice was heard in Ramah? Why Bethlehem? Why Egypt? Why Ramah? Why Nazareth? His ancestral origin, his physical origin, and his geographic origin. Why David? Why Abraham? Why the deportation to Babylon? When you look at our Bible, and isn't it, I was just thinking here as we were singing these carols, you know, we live 2,000 years after the first coming of Christ. And our focus right now is on his second coming. And we are like saints of old that we're looking forward to his first coming. And the promises of that coming are what tie the Old Testament scriptures together. Our Bible begins with God dwelling with man in the garden. The second to the last chapter of our Bible ends with God promising us that he is going to dwell with us forever. That's a covenant promise. And God wants us to know that he is a covenant-keeping God. The promise that he was going to dwell with us forever is woven through the pages of the Bible when he directed his people to pitch a tent right in the midst of their camp where he would teach them through the tabernacle, which later became the temple, that he's going to dwell with us. And then the very coming of Christ was God dwelling with us. Emmanuel with us. But there is a greater day coming for us. There is a day when we are going to be delivered from these bodies of sin and death. I am tired of my sinning. Are you? Are you tired of this old body approaching death and getting weaker and you're discovering parts of your body you never thought of before? There's more than a pain in the neck. <laughs> but the day is coming, my friend. It is ours. We will participate in it. And we will gather together with the saints of all the ages and we will dwell in the Father's house. And the Lord's been putting on a room to the Father's house and he's been doing it for 2,000 years. I'll tell you, if you want to visit me in, in the Father's house, you'll walk in the front door of my whatever it's going to be. And can you imagine me having a waterfall in my front, my front room there? <laughs> I joke about that, but that'd be awesome for me in a little koi pond at the bottom. You can come hang out with me and hear the waterfall. I love the sound of water. It's not even entered my mind what the Lord has prepared for me.
But my friends, it is ours. He's going to dwell with us. And so that we would know that he's a covenant-keeping God, he gives us a book that is called the old and the new. And to help us understand the new, he is going to give us an old covenant of shadow that is structured using a covenant theme. You know what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know the disobedience of the first man. And you know, the, you know the curse that came to humanity. You know the death sentence that God pronounced when he said, the day you eat, you will die. And dying, you will die. And so the heart of humanity cried out for a reversal of that. When will the curse be reversed and who will reverse it? But God promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that he was going to send the seed of the, the woman. And the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. What a promise that God made. You know, the story of the Bible is the story of two men, Adam and Christ. Doesn't Paul tell us that? First Corinthians chapter 15, he calls Adam the first man and he calls Christ the second. And he also calls Christ the last. Two men and the people that they represent. And that old shadow is a picture of what it means to be in Adam. And the inability of humanity to keep the covenant demands of God. But the new is the story of what it means to be in Christ. And power through the spirit of the living God to obey. So you start reading the Bible. And you come to the story of the flood where God had to destroy all of humanity and in his grace save eight people. Why didn't he wipe out Noah? And just start all over again. He could not and he would not. For he made a promise in the garden that he would send a redeemer to reverse the curse and the redeemer had not come yet. And so he spares one man, not because that man was righteous. No, the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God before God ever spared him or called him righteous. Now, he lived righteously, but he was made righteous by the grace of God, just like all of us are. But you know the story of the flood. And you know what happened when they came off the ark? God made a promise. He made a covenant promise to Noah. And he told Noah, Noah, you have three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
And he eliminates two-thirds of the human race, and he focuses on one of Noah's sons by the name of Shem, and he says this, God himself will dwell in the tents of Shem. There's going to be an incarnation. There's going to be a deliverer who will come through the line of Shem. I promise you that. And so that you and I would remember that promise, he sticks a rainbow up in the sky so that every time it rains, we know that he's not going to destroy the world with a flood. And we think of Noah and we think of the covenant promise to send the Redeemer through the line of Shem. You ever wonder why in the 12th chapter of Genesis, you meet a man by the name of Abraham? And why is that man right there after the covenant promise that the Redeemer, the curse reverser, would come through the line of Shem? It's because Abraham was a descendant of Shem. And God narrows the family of Shem and in his grace calls Abraham. And you come to the 12th chapter, you read the first three verses and you discover that this redeemer that God is going to send through the line of Shem will come from the lineage of Abraham. And you read those first three verses and you discover that this redeemer is going to be a blessing to the entire world. To all the nations, God made that covenant promise that he's going to be the seed of the woman, the seed of Shem, the seed of Abraham. You know, we preach the gospel in New York just like you preach it here in Greenville, South Carolina. And you know the gospel has never changed. Do you know that the Bible says in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says that the gospel, and Paul's arguing, he's saying the gospel that I preach, that I'm preaching, is the true gospel. It's the only gospel. And then he tells us that that gospel was preached to Abraham. And Jesus in John 6 says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. Abraham knew the Redeemer was coming. Abraham knew that the Redeemer would be a descendant of his. And Abraham, Romans says, believed on that Redeemer. And God credited righteousness to him. God renewed that promise with Abraham's son Isaac. And then with Isaac's son Jacob. And Jacob has how many sons? Well, now you, they not, you don't let them talk back to you, right? <laughs> well, I want you to help me preach the sermon, so, you know. He has 12 sons. And God determined that one of those sons would be the one from whom Messiah would come. And what son was it? Judah. And in Genesis 49 and verse 10, the Bible says that a scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And unto him, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Can you imagine when all the saints of all the ages are gathered together with the Lord? When he returns, 
What a day that's going to be, my friends. So yes, he'll be the seed of the woman. He'll be the seed of Shem. He'll be the seed of Abraham. And he's going to be a blessing to all the world. And we continue to read our Bible. And you come to the story of Abraham's family. That's basically the rest of the Old Testament. It's, it's the family of Abraham interacting with the nations around them. But the story is about them. Those people. Because they're the people of Messiah. And you know the story. God told Abraham that his descendants were going to go into Egypt. They'd be there for 400 years. But he would not leave them in their bondage and in their slavery. That there was going to be a redemption. And you read of that in Exodus. And it's in Exodus chapter 20 that God initiates the Mosaic covenant with his people. He's redeemed them. They're at Mount Sinai. And he gives them the ten words, the Decalogue, the covenant, the ten commandments. And God tells them that if they'll keep those ten words, it'll be their righteousness. You know, you find the ten commandments repeated a second time in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The first generation didn't want to enter Egypt because of their un, or the land of, 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 of Israel, uh, their inheritance because of their unbelief. They didn't get in because they did not believe. No person will ever receive an eternal inheritance apart from faith in Christ. That generation dies off. The, next gen the younger generation is ready to enter the land. He comes to them a second time and gives them the covenant demands, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you read the very last verses that if you're careful to keep all of these words, all of the law, it'll be your righteousness. And then you continue to read the book of Deuteronomy. By the way, it's one of my most favorite books. Do you know that the book of Deuteronomy is one of the most quoted books in the Old Testament? And one of the most quoted books in the New? And remember the Lord when he's facing the devil, not in the garden like the first man, but he's facing the devil in the wilderness. And he quotes from one book. What, what book does he quote from? Deuteronomy, the book of the covenant. You read that book very carefully and you come to the end and Moses is dying and he tells the people, you are not going to be able to keep the covenant. Because you need a rebirth, basically, what he said. You need a heart change. You need a regeneration to be able to obey God. You've got an obedience problem because you're a descendant of the first man who had an obedience problem. Found in that book, God says this. If you do not keep the covenant, I'm going to scatter you among the nations of the world. You ever read that in Deuteronomy? Where are the Jewish people today? They're scattered all over the world. My friends, as a testimony, number one of the veracity of the word of God. 
but it is a testimony of the inability of any man to keep the covenant. There is no person who's ever going to be saved by keeping the law. You need a perfect obedience to the covenant. And no one's going to get into heaven unless they're as righteous as God is. I'll never forget the first time I heard that from Jesse Boyd when I was here as a student. The first time he said that, I had something inside of me said, now wait a minute, that just ain't right. But it's right. You see, to dwell with the eternal God forever who is holy and righteous, it takes obedient children, and none of us are. And so here we have the first five books of Moses. They've taken us from the promise in the garden. They've taken us from a descendant of Shem. They've taken us from the seed of Abraham. It's given us the Mosaic covenant. And then what follows the first five books? The book of Judge Joshua. Yeshua. The book of Yeshua. Could Moses take the people into the land? You mean the great lawgiver could not take them into their inheritance? Who took them? Yeshua. And don't miss that. Only Yeshua, HaMashiach, can take any of us to our inheritance. What follows the book of Joshua? Judges. Now this is how you start to read the shadow book, the old covenant. You take a pen in your hand and you start reading the book of Judges. And as you read, you start to notice every time a reference is made to the Mosaic Covenant. And right in the margin of your Bible, which commandment is being broken? And by the time you end the book of Judges, every single one of the ten words the covenant demands have been broken. And yet they're in the land. They can't keep the covenant. Judgment is coming. They're going to be scattered. And then we continue to read the historical sections of our Old Testament. And then we read the major prophets. And we read the minor prophets. And what of everything that could have been written about? Everything that could have been said. Every revelation God could have given us in that section. He focuses on one thing. And if you read carefully your entire Old Testament, he's going to highlight the inability of man to keep the covenant. It's a history of their sin. God gave us all of that to demonstrate the inability of any of us to have works righteousness. But then there are two major events that are focused on in the Old Testament besides the Exodus. What are they? Two major events in the history of God's people. What were they? You'll see it, the, the entire structure of the Old Testament focuses on these two events. Take a guess. Exile. Exile. Deuteronomy. You don't keep the covenant, I'm going to scatter you. And in 722, after the kingdom is divided, Mo Moses, the Mosaic covenant, 
God comes along to David before the division. And God promises David that he's going to have a seed. And his seed will be the Redeemer. And Psalm 110, one of the most quoted psalms in all of the New Testament, David turns and he says, My descendant is none other than my Lord. My Redeemer, the one who's going to be my seed, is the Lord. An incarnation again. Promised to Noah. Promised in the, to, to Adam and Eve in the garden. Promised to David. Promise to Abraham and the one that would have an everlasting kingdom. And then David's kingdom is divided, the north and the south. But in 722, 10 of those northern tribes go into captivity. Read it in the book of Kings. Read it in the book of Chronicles. They go into captivity because they can't keep the coming. You know who the lead prophet is when they're go the 10 tribes are going into captivity? We call them a major prophet. We have major prophets, minor prophets. That has nothing to do with their importance. That had everything to do with the length of their book, of their prophecy. Anybody recall who's preaching when ten tribes go into captivity? <coughs> Anybody recall? You know what it sounds like? We, we need to start reading our Old Testament, right? Who's the preacher? Isaiah. And why? He hammers on their sin, right? He hammers over and over again of their breaking of the covenant. Read your book. Right in the margin. And yet, tucked in that book, when they're breaking the covenant, getting ready to go into captivity because they can't keep the covenant, are found what we call four servant songs, beginning in chapter 42. The most famous of them being chapter 53. But they're being preached at. Isaiah is delineating. They're breaking the covenant. But he comes along in chapter 42. And I'll never forget the day I read this and I understood it. And chapter 49. And you know who he calls Christ? He calls them, him, the covenant for the people. You're going into captivity because you can't keep it, but the covenant keeper is coming. Chapter 42, chapter 49, and then you come to chapter 53, and we discovered that this covenant keeper is going to look just like the Mosaic covenant. You see, this covenant keeper is going to have to do something about the covenant. He's going to have to keep it. He's going to have to keep the law of God, the one who's going to delight in the law of God, the one who is said to be obedient even unto death, even at the death of the cross. He'll be the covenant for the people. And in that famous chapter, oh, I love this verse that says, after calling Christ the righteous servant in the Old Testament, the righteous branch of David, the righteous one, it says there in Isaiah chapter 53 that this righteous one will bear the iniquity of his people. What a promise. He's on his way. He's the seed of the woman, the seed of Shem, the seed of Abraham, the keeper of the covenant, the seed of David. But then you have two more tribes, and they're going to go into captivity too, aren't they? 
in 586. And who takes them captive? Babylon. And now you know why Matthew 1 mentions the deportation to Babylon. And now you know why the genealogy in Matthew 1 makes reference to Hezekiah, and it was during his reign that the ten tribes are destroyed by the Assyrians. But who's the lead preacher in 586? I'll give you a hint. His name starts with a J. And it's not Jonah either. Who is it? Jeremiah. You ever read through Jeremiah and highlight all the references to the breaking of the covenant? And yet it's in that book that we find mention of the new covenant. You're going into captivity because you can't keep the covenant, but the covenant keeper is coming. He's on his way. You see, God structures that shadow part of our Bible using a covenant theme to let us all know that he's a covenant-keeping God. When he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. And that is why the new covenant scripture is about him and his coming. And it opens with, this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now that's just verse 1. Now preacher, I've, I've got all two chapters got to preach through. It seems the same. <laughs> Our God is a covenant-keeping God. And you look at this genealogy here, and you know there's five women in it. Genealogies of the Bible don't contain the names of women, but this one does. There's only two, 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 two times in the Bible that you read the entire phrase, this is the book of the generation of. Only two times. Anybody know where the first one's mentioned? You know, this is the second one. It's found in Genesis chapter 5, the the book. This is the book of the generation of Adam. Have you ever done this? This is a buy. This is this is a buy over here. Have you ever just gone in the genealogy of Adam and, and, and right next to the names that are mentioned there, write the meanings of the name in Hebrew? We're just reading the Hebrew name as we're you know translating the name. Do you ever just look at what their name means? Just do that sometime. Just write it out in the margin of your Bible. And then after you've done that, just read, read their names and what the meanings of their names are. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what you'll read. Man is appointed to mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching us that his death will bring the despairing comfort. I just read you the meanings of their name. You know that's in your Bible? The gospel of God's tucked right in the first genealogy. Genealogy of the first man. And a promise that the God will come down and his death will bring the despairing comfort. 
And this genealogy is packed too. Names of five women. But when you read their names, you got Tamar in verse 3. You know anything about Tamar? Incestuous relationship she had with her father-in-law, Judah. She was a sinner. Ever read verse 5? Rahab. Who was Rahab? She's referenced in the Bible as Rahab the, the harlot. How about Ruth? We've got a book in our Bible called Ruth. In verse 5, when you read Ruth, you're reminded in, in uh, Genesis chapter, I think it's chapter 19, that she's a Moabite, right? In the book of Ruth, she's a Moabite. You know where the Moabites and the Ammonites came from? An incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters. And so you think of that when you read that. And then you come down to verse 6 and you read Bathsheba. And you know the story of Bathsheba and David. And then there's a fifth wo uh, woman in the Bible, and then she's in verse 18. And it's Mary. And no, Mary is not the co-redeemer. Mary is not the co-mediator. No. Mary never mothered God. She mothered the humanity. And then you read in Luke's gospel that Mary writes a little song and she says, I need God to be my savior. Now, women, just unless you think I'm picking on women, a lot more men in this genealogy are women. If you go back in the Old Testament and read about all these men, guess what? They're all covenant breakers too. So I've got a list of the generations of Jesus the Messiah. And it throws me back to the covenant promise God made to Abraham, the covenant promise he made to David. And it then gives me a list of men and women who are all covenant breakers, not covenant keepers. And then I find Hezekiah, and I think of Israel taken captive in 2 Kings chapter 17. And then I've got the deportation to Babylon. And you know what I've got? I've got sin. The sin of the people. The people who are descendant of Adam, the first man. A people under the curse. A people wondering about whether or not death itself can be reversed. The death sentence of Genesis. And then I read of the physical origin of Christ and I come to this verse 21. She shall bear a son. You shall call his name Yeshua. For he will do what? Save his people from their sin. Oh, what a blessed promise. Oh, what a blessed promise. And this one would be born in Bethlehem, just like Micaiah, the prophet in chapter 5 and verse 2 said he would. He would be the one who had suffered under the Mosaic Covenant and their disobedience even after they had been redeemed from Egypt. And he will deal with the sentence of judgment that deported them. And that is why Rama is mentioned here. Do you know that Rama was a tiny little town on a border that separated the north from the south? And when the Assyrians took the ten tribes into captivity, they processed all of them through the little town of Ramah, and then they were scattered. And then in 586, when the, the southern tribes go into captivity, guess which town they're processed through? It's Ramah. 
and the hearts of the people are heavy. Is there anyone who can come and reverse all of that? Oh, yes. It's Yeshua. Yeshua. The one who is the seed of the woman, the one who is the seed of Shem, the one who is the seed of Abraham, the one who can keep the Mosaic covenant and then be a substitute facing the judgment of God, pictured in all of those animal sacrifices. The one who is our peace offering, the one who is our trespass offering, the one who is our sin offering, the one who knew no sin that was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the what? The righteousness of God in him. Are you in him? The story of the old is the story of those who are in Adam. The story of the new is those who are in Christ. Are you in him? For the promise of God is that if you will call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that he can save you from your sin. All of its effect, all of its curse. He saves. He's the one that can take us to our internal inheritance into the land of promise. He's the one who can deal with our sin. And that's exactly what he did at Calvary. And my friend, you cannot separate the Garden of Eden where the death sentence was pronounced from Mount Calvary. And you'll never understand Mount Calvary until you understand Genesis chapter 3. For it was on the cross where he was made to be sin for us. Where that death sentence was satisfied. You and I might die physically. But I hope that none of you in this room will face the second death. There's a reference in the Bible to the second death. And it's a death of eternal separation from God. Not dwelling with him forever, but separated from his presence forever. And do you understand that when the Lord hung on the cross of Calvary in the darkness of the hour, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you what? Abandon me. You realize at Calvary, our Lord suffered an eternal death sentence of separation from his father. Abandoned by his father so that you and I wouldn't be. But you know what the promise of the new covenant is. For you've read it. You've read it in Jeremiah 31 or you've read it in Hebrews chapter 8 or chapter 10. And oh, I love the terms of this covenant. I love the work of this covenant keeper. I love his work and that covenant because God promises me in that covenant that I'm going to be his people. And he promises that there's going to be a work through the power of the Spirit of God. And Ezekiel would use the the, the valley of dead bones coming to life again by the Spirit of God. And that Spirit would so change my life that guess what? The covenant demands of God, the law would be written where? On my heart. There would be a radical change in my life so that now the man who had no desire to obey God, a covenant breaker, would now have a desire to do what pleases him. Now, not perfectly, 
I don't obey perfectly. I don't. And if you knew me like God knows me, you'd probably cross the street when you saw me coming. But I'm thankful that Jesus did. And I'm thankful that on the cross of Calvary, he took all of my sin, all of my disobedience. And how can we continue to disobey when the thought is that my disobedience caused him to be separated from God forever? In those three hours, he took my eternity of separation. But I've learned this. The promise of his spirit enables me to obey. When you're getting ready to sin against the covenant, just stop and say, Spirit of the Lord, I need you right now. And he's here. He's here with us. We're not orphans. We're waiting for Christ to come the second time. But we're not orphaned. His power is with us. And now we can be a people waiting for Christ, waiting for that eternal inheritance, waiting for that home to live in forever, waiting for that, but learning how to obey. And Christ is the new covenant for his people. And the promise of God, the terms of that covenant is that my sin and my iniquity, he will remember no more. What a covenant that is. That's God's promise. And it's in Christ. Oh, it's in our Christ. Do you know him? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Have you believed on him? Do you believe he's the Lord from heaven who came, lived a perfect life you and I could not live, and died a death that we deserved and then rose again? Do you believe that he's the Lord from heaven? Well, my friend, if you have, then his new covenant work is for you. And so now read your New Testament. Read all those letters and you will discover how the people that are in Christ are to obey and please the Lord. Our Lord has come. And in honor of a God who keeps covenant and sent Christ, who's a covenant for us, in honor of that great covenant and the covenant work of Christ, let's obey the Lord. This is the book of the generation of Jesus the son of David who will have an eternal kingdom that you and I will live in forever. And he will be king on the throne and will live in the father's house. The son of Abraham, the one who can deal with the deportation and deal with our sin. Thank God for him. He's come. That's what we're celebrating this time of the year. Well, the Lord bless you. I want you to know we still do what we do in New York. I won't show any PowerPoint. We still have five evangelistic services. We preach every week. We still distribute a pantry to the poor. Um, the year before COVID, 
Trader Joe's donated $3.9 million retail to Covenant Mercy Mission. This last year during COVID, they donated $2.5 million retail to us. Just had to sign the papers a couple weeks ago. And that love of God for our neighbor is bringing them into the building. Pre-COVID, we had 350, 400 people a week. Now we only have about 250 people coming. They're still afraid to come. Um, we still have Sunday afternoon church service for believers. Uh, that's down too. We still have a lot of our older people that are just too frightened to come from their home. And uh, maybe that'll change here soon. But um, we still have our uh, mission teams coming. I look forward to when you folks can come again. We've got some beautiful accommodations for you. You're not, all of you aren't sleeping on the floor anymore on air mattresses. We do have some nice bunk beds and a nice little hospitality suite with a refrigerator and microwave. And uh, we're trying to, you know, dress it up a little bit better and make it comfortable for you. Uh, we had a church uh, last summer that came for six weeks in a row, and now they're sending a different team every month until next summer. And uh, so a small group will come in, and they've been a tremendous help to us. Uh, they don't spend a whole week. They sp spend from like a, a Thursday through a Sunday. Uh, maybe some of you would like to come. Maybe some of you would like to bring your family. We have small groups. We, you, we could have someone come every week and help us. <laughs> we wouldn't mind that. Um, we do have our internship program. I have two newer, new interns coming in uh, for the spring semester. Uh, two ministerial students, uh, the uh, uh, Puritan Theological Seminary up in Grand Rapids uh, uh, is test piloting a program with us. Uh, they have a, 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 a huge grant that they would have access to if they can dovetail ministerial training with practical minister, ministerial um, ministry in an inner city. And we qualified. <laughs> so this is a test pilot. And uh, we learned, Mark and Trish, you can appreciate this, when Jake and, and Chad were with us, two of them, two of them at a time. And by the way, your son and Chad and my daughter kept the pantry open during COVID. We never shut it down. They had nothing else to do. They can't get around the city. They couldn't hunker down. They had kind of hunkered down and work, and they worked. The two of those men picked up all of our food from all of the stores. Three of them sorted all the food. Three of them distributed it every week on Wednesday and Saturday. And I hunkered down in the basement so I wouldn't get COVID. <laughs> My wife got it in Indiana a little while ago. She had to leave New York to get it. <laughs> but we still have that program and uh, I owe so much to those two men and I discovered that it takes two men to be there not a single intern but two so that they have fellowship and accountability and can do things together so we're going to have that program we've had 35 different interns come through that, our program in the past 17 years and if this works out, we could see interns every summer, every fall, until the Lord comes. And so we're thankful for that. So all that goes on, and you know that's your investment. That's your ministry in New York. And because of your giving, you have been giving to us for, I think, about 20 years. 
been a long time. You folks helped us lay the foundation. You helped us when we went to New York and there was a $3 million debt and a small building. You jumped in there with us. You folks took a special offering for that too. I want you to know now we're out of debt. There is no debt. It's gone. We're not in that building. It took the sale of that building to get out of debt, but God brought us across town in a building two and a half times the size of what we had on the other side of town. The debt is gone. And they opened up their space to the New York Gospel Ministries and the Covenant Mercy Mission and Manor Church, and they told us initially it was going to be for 20 years. You know what God did? That, build, that building's owned by a board of seven people, and God put four of us on that board. We're the majority voice. We don't even talk about 20 years, okay? We're talking about the generations to come, should the Lord tarry. And now you folks have a footprint, a battle, the beachhead, right in the middle of the largest city in the United States, most influential city in the world. Not just because I believe it, I think it is. Whole world comes there, the whole world visits there and lives there and will walk around the blocks and walk around the world. And that work is your work. That's what you've helped us establish. And I thank God for you folks. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for coming. Come again real soon. And send a work, work, work team that can help me do sheetrock work, okay? That's what I need. Thank you, Pastor.